All right, anything we have to talk about? Anything needs to be done? Any questions about anything? Money. <laughs> well played. Arthur uh, Just is going to Spain the 5th of October. If you throw money in the basket, we will buy her for a plane ticket to go to Spain to teach for two or three weeks. So that'll be good. The pastors and also the congregations. Okay, good. Anything else besides that? Thanks for that reminder. Okay, each, each year, one of the hardest things to try to do is to try to figure out something that you would be interested in and would be good for the life of St. John. The creed has been sort of at me for some time, and yet the difficulty in teaching it is that it can get dead boring very quickly. And I have the sense that maybe you have this sense also especially if you are put to a lot of memory work when you were younger. Not that I think memory work's bad, I actually think it's wonderful, but it's, it's how it's done and how it's played as just another thing to slog through, or maybe this is another way that God tells you that he loves you, which is the way I'd like to proceed this year. I tried to shake this a couple of times, but I kept coming back to it, and we will see how it goes. I'm not interested in the creed as a data dump. So if you've heard anything over the years as you've been at St. John, one of the things that you've heard is that we're very interested in knowing things in order to live them. So it basically works like this. The Word of God eternal takes human flesh and speaks words to you. And these words reveal the divine life. And through his own words and his sacraments, he invites you into this life and lets you have a little bit of heaven on earth. That's, that's as easy it can, as it can be. But one of the joys of a congregation is when you and I actually embrace it, when we actually love each other, when we care for each other, when we look out for each other, and then also, as Pastor said this morning, in generosity and love, look out to others. So that's all in the creed. I'm not, you know, you have to, you know, forgive me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm genetically ruined. You know, I have a PhD in systematic theology. This means you blow the dust off the pieces of the puzzle, and you put it all together, and then you let the dust gather again. It means something like that, right? I mean, I like all my ducks in a row, right? If there are ducks, they should be rowed. <laughs> but I realize that, you know, not everybody is like me. Uh, nevertheless... To know these things and to love them and to use them is the fullness of the Christian life. It's the fullness of your humanity. It's the fullness of our congregation. It's a light in the world. Uh, we're going we're gonna to need each other. We've been talking about this for a couple of years now. America's kind of a rough place right now. And uh, Christians are, you know, I'm not panicky in the sense that sometimes I read in order to, I got a book in the mail, about 300 pages for free that would tell me, in fact, I got two books. I got one yesterday at home too. It's from a different guy, so it must be on the it must be on the horizon, telling me how America is going straight to hell, and this is what I need to do to rally. I actually do know what I need to do to rally. I need to go to the Eucharist, and then everything is going to work out. Okay, so, but it would be good for us. It would strengthen us. It would bind us together. It would bind us to Christ. It would make us useful to the world if we had the confidence to be able to talk about what is true and then let the chips fall where they may. And to be honest with you, that's 
one of the great reasons that the creed was written. So, just to suggest to you why this is important, you know, the quiz on the opening page. So take a look down, don't cheat ahead. Many of you have seen this, but we're going to do it a little more thoroughly than we have in the past. If you've been through new members kind of any time since I've been here, you've seen this. This is a picture I discovered in The Economist on an airplane somewhere, quite by accident, long ago. But it's a remarkable thing. So the question, of course, is what you see there, Buddha or Madonna, right? What do you see? Do you see the Blessed Virgin Mother? Um, do you see Jesus or do you see a Buddha? What would you, if you were looking at that, why would you think one thing and then another? What do you say? Go. You do say, now see, I want to know why, though, because, you know, Mr. Hecht, I know that, you know, since second grade on, you've been in the front row, and you've usually had most of the right answers, and I think your wife is proof of this, right? I mean, you did quite well here, right? So there's no point in breaking your string. However, let me quiz you just a little bit here. Why do you see, if you see the Blessed Virgin Mother, why do you see her? Conditioning, yes, right. Thank you, thank you, Pablo. You'll work that out later with Mr. Hecht, okay? So uh, whatever you're saying about him, uh, you know, work it out yourselves. What do you see? He does have a big fat belly. They don't look like Jews. No, it doesn't. Although she does have that kind of Marian nod to, um, you know, like. Okay, good. And the face a bit, especially in the baby there. He said he's got a little bit of um, weight for a young lad who is probably a vegetarian, except on Passover, right? Poor man. Uh, lentils and, and, you know, pita, right? Okay, what else do you see? Anything else? Go ahead, over here. Jesus holding. Yeah. Yes, right. Okay. Was Jesus, if Jesus is holding a lamb, something else? What do you, what do you say, Kirby? What did you say? Bit independent, is he? Yeah. So he is a big fat guy, but you know he was a baby once too. Anything else? Yes. Before he was enlightened. Yeah. He was a skinny little. Is that right? Yes. You knew him when he was young. <laughs> I saw pictures of him in China. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Before he was enlightened, he was skinny. How about that? What do you say, Jody? I think I probably, I mean, I see Madonna, and I think it probably has to do with a woman-to-woman -woman thing, that I see the woman as a mother, and she's right. tenderly looking at what's in her arms. So right. That probably pulls me in as a... Right. I turn to your last page. I'm actually going to read this because I want to gloss the text. But you should think, in one page, this describes perfectly why we do the cross. Where's Hopkins, my Japanese pronunciator? But when I point to you, Hopkins, you'll shout out the proper Japanese. You ready? Here we go. Go! That's what I would have said. An 80-something laborer with calloused hands and nicotine-stained teeth jogs forward to a simple wooden structure. This, he explains, is a holy place to Japan's... Right. For hidden Christians. Now, already you say to yourself, hmm, who still worship privately in each other's homes. Pause. 
So just a couple of questions already. Can Christians really remain hidden when there's no reason for them to be hidden, the story yet to come? Or is it best for Christians to be scattered in their homes? I know about home churches. I know about the early church. Home churches aren't what people think they are in Wheaton. Arthur just has given that lecture several times before. Home churches were usually extremely large, perhaps the largest Christian house in town. It often had uh, gardens or a large place in the middle. You know, he's taken us through all that, but it's not often what people think about as their prayer circles in Wheaton. That's, that's like as far as east is from west is what the early Christians were all about. We've done Acts 2 as well. But the question is for you, you know, privately in your home, is such a thing, I'll just put it this way, helpful. Okay, we'll see. But in a country where religion is so free that many people practice two of them, right? Why do the prefer to lie low? Therein lies the tale. When Francis Xavier introduced Christianity to Japan in 1549, okay, think about this, Luther, right? 1483 to 1546-ish, right? It was a 4346, right? Luther died in 46. So he's going to Japan, right as Luther is, you know, is still so growing cold, right? So think about this. The going was good, too good. Concerned that 400,000 or so, so in 63 years, 400,000 converts. If you were king, you would be nervous, too that 400,000 or so baptized Japanese might have dual loyalties, the government banned the religion in 1612, so 63 years. Thousands were crucified, boiled, drowned, burnt, or otherwise murderously dispatched. Many gave up. But a large number kept the faith by setting up a secret organization. You could think if you want catacombs in Rome. So, you know, don't, don't think that they're just off the rails just by the fact that they preserve themselves, but to keep going. And now here's the difficulty. And using the cover of Buddhist rituals to practice Christian ones. There's an old Latin phrase in the church, lex orandi, lex credendi, or lex credendi, lex orandi. What we, what we believe is what we pray, or what we pray is what we believe. People have argued about that and written, written PhD dissertations about it. The point of it is, is what you do shapes you. Whatever you do, that shapes you, right? If you kneel, that shapes you. You don't believe me? Uh, check Colin Kaepernick today. Hold on, I'll have a margin comment for you, right? I'll be quoting John Kleinick, what further need of witnesses, right? What you do shapes you. Whether you kneel or don't, whether you make the sign of the cross, whether you genuflect, whether you use incense, hold on, just watch under the cover, right, of Buddhist rituals in Satome. Is that properly said? Is this Satome? Okay. In Satome, a fishing and coal town not far from Nagasaki, for instance, a shaving from a cross left by the area's last priest would be placed under the white cloth triangle on the forehead that was required that was a required Buddhist death rite. So you die, and you're Buddhist, the cloth goes on your head, somebody would take a little shaving from the cross and put it underneath the, cro the, the cloth. Now the question, of course, is, are you Buddhist, are you Christian, are you something else, right? 
How does this, how does this all work together? You, you want to be careful. I, see, now here's the thing. I should just say this. I want, to be, I want you to be very careful in reserving judgment about other people. Forget about the people for a moment, because it's not, I'm not interested in saying these are bad people or good people. That's not the point. The point is, what I'm aiming at is, and what I want you to see is how practice, how what you do and what you say shapes you. Of course, in a moment, I'm going to tell you this is why the liturgy is important, this is why the building is important, this is why art and beauty are important. It's all coming, right? Hold on. But for not, this is not about a judgment on other people. That's not the deal. The deal is... The constant question we always ask here is, what makes the best Christians? <coughs> right? If you come to the numerous class, I often say, you could do this, you could do, you could do what we do here a thousand ways, and you can walk in any church within ten miles of here, and it will be different than this. Why do we do what we do here the way we do it? Why don't we give you instructions? Because you're smart, you don't need instructions. Why do we do the liturgy? Because, in our judgment, it makes the best Christians. It'll make you into the most useful person for Christ. That's the point. People can argue about it all day long. There's no point in arguing about it. It's not a rational argument, at least in our church. But you're the proof of it, right? You're the proof. So, here we go. Um, let's see. Museums of hidden Christianity display relics of the era, such as plaques with Christian images. The Japanese were ordered to trample Notice boards announcing the going rate for killing <coughs> Christians, 500 silver pieces for a priest, 100 for a believer. Not until 1873, so 261 years, was Christianity legalized again. Now you think to yourselves, fantastic, let's, let's be out, let's organize, let's have churches. Well, at that point, most of the 50,000 or so hidden Christians returned to conventional Catholic practice. But a large minority did not wish to. Now you always ask yourself, why is that? Right? You've got a choice between A and B. There's no penalty for either one. Why would you not return? See, that's the question. So they continued to gather together secretly in their homes using rituals developed over the centuries. My guess is um, this is not unlike Lutherans who say, this is the way we've always done it. Right? This is the way my parents did it. Wait, you can hear this. We've been doing this this way for 261 years. Right? You can, can you hear this? You've probably never heard this, I know. Why do you put those pretzels in the red jello? Speaking of which... <laughs> you speak as a man and not as from God. <laughs> Thomas Cowell, our vicar from last year. Two th I have to say two things about the Cowell. Who will be here? You know, two things about him. One is, he was on a, I went to the vicar's supervisor's meeting on last week in Fort Wayne. I bumped into him in the library. He's got a coat and tie on, and he looks absolutely serene. Did you ever notice that our vicar's always seem slightly harried here? Look. <laughs> I, I rest my case, okay? Uh, yeah. Here's the thing. I mean, but, 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 but I saw Thomas in the library. He looked up. He's glowing like the baby Jesus. I'm like, dang. Well, here's the reason. Because once you've been through St. John, when you go back, it's kind of like, it's all going to be fine. And then he sat on a panel of vicars with me in the audience having to talk about his experience. I put questions to him. I know. Think about it, right? I did say, be merciful to me, a sinner, before he went out. Um, so, I mean, that was, but second, he sent me a picture of, they had a, he went home to Iowa to show off the new baby, and 
they had a thing. I get an inst I get a I get a I get a picture in my email of what red jello with pretzels. In. He said, "I thought you were just kidding." I like so. I mean, he didn't learn anything about the liturgy apparently, but he did learn about keeping your food separate. I'm I'm part of a family that mixes their food. It comes from their mother's side. I can't understand this. But it's it is what it is. I mean, we all are we all have our crosses to bear, right? Really, who puts corn on mashed potatoes or puts gravy over? Who does this sort of thing? We have to go back to the Bible. I'm getting the nerves here. The inevitable result of 250 years of underground practice transmitted orally by people, and now here's the here's the pain point. Lightly schooled in the faith. You can't have 400,000 converts in 62 years, kill all the priests, close all the churches, and expect anybody to know anything in a way that in persecution, right? So whatever you think about is coming in America or the world, you know, you can't expect Christians to carry on in that circumstance was a highly unconventional Christianity. Now this is fun. A Japanese version of the Bible recreated from memory in the 1820s tells, for example, of the Holy One debating with Buddhist priests as the 12-year-old Jesus was sent to his son of the Jewish elders. Remember that story? So instead of taking on the elders in the temple at 12 and getting lost and Mary coming back, what are you doing about my father's business? Right? It's the Buddhist priest. Two men, Pancha and Parato, right? Pancha's Pilate are told to kill all the children five and under. What? Right? So you were collapsing the stories, right? Of death at an old age, death at an early age, right? Are told to kill all the children under five and echo of Herod's order. Mary gives birth in a stable, but the innkeeper who had spurned her then takes her in. In a wonderfully Japanese touch, he offers her a hot bath. <laughs> Isn't that great? Because this is what happened. Now, don't confuse this with the Hebrew oral tradition, where people had to memorize and say it again and say it again and say it again. This is like, they didn't know enough to pass it on, and they didn't know enough to keep it when they had it. I'm just going to pause now. It's very difficult to do that. I, I only can work from my experience, but I'm just going to tell you, within 20 miles of this church, there are Lutheran churches that you can join in the morning. You can have coffee at 8 and be a member at noon, right? What will that mean for the church in 20 or 30 years? Or, let me give you another example. When, for a decade, all the churches we start don't have the name Lutheran on them, how does anybody know they're Lutheran? As somebody said to me, uh, they went on vacation and went to church, and they came back and they said, and what is the problem with the Missouri Senate? Like, what do you mean? He's like, I go to McDonald's all the way along uh, with my kids. It's the same, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. And he said, I go to five different churches. He said, they have no idea where they are. He said, whatever happened to building the brand? He looks at me, he goes like this, Bruza, protect the brand. I'm like, this is my fault? But here's the thing, right? Protect the brand. So in a sense, the creed is about protecting the brand, right? Building the brand, protecting the brand. That's what it's about. Because this place, this Eucharist, should be the liturgy. That's why, you know, Claire, you can correct me, you might be the only one, you know, in here who has this kind of history. Maybe some of you, Hex, maybe, but as I understand it, you know, the red hymnal that I grew up with, right, the Lutheran hymnal, the Lutheran hymnal, the Ohio State University, the Lutheran hymnal, right, and there's only one. As I understood it, that came in in the 50s, 
It was circulated around the world so that you could go in any church anywhere in the world that was Lutheran and everybody would be doing the same thing. In fact, even now, if you go in Germany, you know, you have this, this crush of Lutheran churches put together with uh, Reformed churches, um, you know, under the Prussian Union. But even now, if you go into a Reformed church, church in Germany, and Gunter's going to correct me because he's just been to Gunter's here, I'm not going to look at him. I'm not going to look at him. And sir, I love you, but I'm not going to look at you because you're going to... You know, the first time, Rob, this is my own experience, the first time I walked into one, it was page five. I'm like, that's weird and interesting. It does actually protect the brand. Okay. Um, the Japanese forms of the Lord's Prayer and the Creed had stayed pretty much intact. But Latin terms have been corrupted beyond all meaning. Now you remember Arthur Just, his doctor father at Durham was part of a group that met with Pope Benedict to be a kind of a, kind of a, when, he, when Benedict needed to talk to the guys, he convened these guys, okay? And they all had to speak five languages in order to belong to the group. But when they wanted to be understood, so everybody could understand, there could be no misunderstanding, they spoke in Latin. You had to know German and French, Spanish and English. But when they didn't want there to be any misunderstanding, they spoke in Latin. That was the point of the Latin. You know, one language, so there wouldn't be, that's why the Lutheran confessions are in Latin, remember? And translated into German. But so that we all know what everybody's talking about. Why? Because this matters. This is life and death. This is who we are. This is Jesus incarnate on earth. This is the salvation of the world. This is the way to heaven. This matters. It matters if you get the stories right. It matters what you believe. People die for this stuff, okay? So... Many of the prayers were Kakure Karishitan. That doesn't sound right. When you say it, it's so much cooler. <laughs> he studied in Japan with some kind of some kind of master, right? Huh? That's right, man. Wax on. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, here we go. Six of the seven sacraments disappeared due to lack of clergy to perform them. The result concludes Kentaro Miyazaki. What do you think? Yeah? But see, when you say it, it all kind of comes together like you actually know what you're talking about. A scholar of hidden Christianity is that this thing evolved into something neither hidden nor Christian. And that, you see, is the great danger. Now, you can just pop into that liberal Protestantism in America, I argue, right? Just pop it in there, because, you know, doctrine doesn't matter, we take the parts we want, the cafeteria Catholics, blah, 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 blah. Lutherans who take the bits they like, they don't take the bits. By the way, you're Lutherans, you tell me, riddle me this, Batman. Why in the creed, when everybody else says the one holy Catholic apostolic church, why do we say one holy Christian apostolic church? Really? You're too, like, you're my people, you're too stupid to tell the difference between a small letter and a big letter? Really? Because I think you can tell the difference. If it's a big letter, it means St. Mike's. And if it's a small letter, it means every Christian on earth, right? So even little stuff, you see, the weirdnesses that we do like that, I'm like, really? Are we all that? We really, really, we can't understand that? I'm like, actually, I think we can. You never know when that might get flipped around. Send your cards and letters to the NI district office. 1271. <laughs> Zip code. Never mind. Okay, so. Mm. 
into something neither hidden nor Christian, but a folk religion, altogether Japanese in spirit content. Okay? The shrine on which Mr. Murakami, what did it say? Murakami-san. Murakami-san. Oh, I'm sorry. What? what? You're adding words now, man. This is all it ever has in the church. People don't like the text, they just make up some stuff, right? As, as when you say it, it's beautiful. I mean, it actually, it's, it's, be it's a beautiful language, right? All right. Um, sits, supports the view. In the architecture of his classic Shinto. Okay. You build a church, remember? The building always wins, right? This is why you don't build pole barns. This is why beauty is a window to the divine. This is why Christians develop architecture. This is why they painted. This is why they wrote icons. This is why they played music. The music this morning at the first service. Come on. Right? I think there are kids coming at the second service, which will be equally great. And so is the interior. An altar features a rice bowl and water. A Buddha image is draped with something like pearls and paper cranes and Japanese flags. By the way... We did actually, I just, I just put it out there because it's my fault. Yes, I sent the American flag out for cleaning, and yes, it did get lost. Remember, you used to have it. See, you who are new, you don't know this. But I did have a question again about why there's no American flag in the, I'm just going to tell you why there's not an American flag in the sanctuary, because it's not American territory. Okay, that's the reason why. God bless America, I stand for the pledge, but the vicar. Can I tell this story? You're going to get in trouble. Do I need to cover up here? Okay, I'm going off. I'm going offline because this is this is what you're up against. Stay tuned. <laughs> but it's not American territory. Yes, you can do it the other way, and you're not going to hell if you have a flag in. But the point is, if you demand the flag, as Lutherans say, if you tell me I must do it, I can. If you tell me I can't do it, I must. No wonder Lutherans are dysfunctional, right? But that was the great that was the great Reformation thing. Tell me I must do it, I can't. Tell me I can't do it, I must. No wonder, you know. No wonder. So so many. I've explained so much about us. But you know, yeah, you can have it in the way of the gospel, but you can't have something national instead of something Jesus. You just can't do that because otherwise um, you've aligned your God. Jesus is the point number two, right? The shrine supports the view. Can you imagine if you came in and you had a Buddha instead of a Jesus? If you think the icon doesn't matter, this is why it matters. People are drawn to, they bless, they embrace what they see, what they do. This is how it works. Uh, paper cranes, Japanese flags, hang to the wall. There was not a Christian image in sight. Because, now here it is, <clears throat> in order to protect our religious beliefs, we needed to camouflage them. <laughs> That's like buying yourself, you know, a nice dress at Nordstrom's, really expensive, but never wearing it because you don't want it to get, you know, wrinkled, right? If you got stuff, use it. It matters, right? But the shrine was built in 1914, long after liberation, after liberation, and post-war Japan had genuine religious freedom. The real reason is that among hidden Christians, ancestor worship is the most important value. Finally, you get to it. Is it really about freedom? Is it really about doing what we want? No, it's actually the, the thing you love. Luther, first commandment. Your idol is what you cling to in life and death. Right? So at death, in the church, what is it that you cling to? What is it that you cling to? This is why we don't have eulogies. Because people will lie about you. And frankly, I know you. And you're not that good. And really, 
you think you're bad? I stink. I mean, it, when I drop dead, if you have a eulogy, I will just reach up out of the casket and I will grab you by the throat. I Seriously, I will. The Lord will give me this power. Like the witch of Endor brought Saul back. I, I, I'm sure it will happen. Seriously, this is why you don't have eulogies, because, because people lie. Right? Tell the truth when you're at church. Cling to what's true. He was a damn sinner. But there's room here for damn sinners. Only the dead can be raised. Only the sinners can be forgiven. The mutual solidarity of persecutions bound hidden Christians together. That's true. Yes, it is true. It's proving a more difficult challenge. He reckons there are perhaps 4,000 hidden Christians left in three bits of Nagasaki Prefecture. With the living memory of persecution disappearing, hold on to your seat, substitute American Protestantism for, and, and see, with the, with the, the living memory of persecution disappearing, young people see little point in clinging to a form of faith that is hardly different from America's usual blend of prosperity gospel and good works and whatever religion I happen to like today. How is this different? This is no different, right? Jesus said, this is not my world. Jesus is otherworldly. So if the church always gives people the world, why would they walk across the door? Walk, walk across the threshold. Why would they walk through the door? If we're no different than what's outside, if you look exactly like them, what's the point of getting up in the morning? Oh, everybody go do something else. You remember in the early church we've talked about this. I mean, I told you this story a couple weeks ago, but I'll tell you again. This story where they persecution about 270, they send a guy out, they say we're going to kill all the Christians in this reason region, the emperor sends out, the Roman emperor sends out a guy, and he says, gather the reasons we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him, gather the reasons. He comes back and he says, right? Remember what he said? He said, these are the strangest people. They don't abort their children. They care for the suffering. They feed the hungry. When dead bodies are thrown by the side of the road, they pick them up and they give them a proper burial. They're peaceful. They don't cause any trouble. They don't riot. They share what they've got. And they don't cause any trouble. Now he says, you can kill them if you want. But he said, they're different. And you might want to think that all the way through. That's what people should say about us. People should be saying about us, they're different. The way that you will attract people into the church is through the beauty of the gospel, not through force. Through the gospel, not the law. Right? The way that you will engage people in the church is by embracing the love of the creed and living that out, and not by arguing people into whatever you... Partly because the world is not rational. Nobody I know is rational anymore. It's over. That project is extinct. People choose the facts they want to choose. It's the outgrowth of the Enlightenment into the postmodern world. Okay, the modern world collapsed into the postmodern world. They still make the same mistake. The ultimate arbiter is my heart. I decide what's true, as opposed to all of you who somehow have come to believe that the baby Jesus has first say in your life. And when people see that, when they say, those folks are different. There's a church, but they don't fight. There's a church, but they're generous. There's a church, but they give to the poor. There's a church, but they support each other. There's a church, they don't abort their children. There's a church, they stay married. Right? There's a church, when something goes wrong, you know, they don't look for blame. They rally around. They're a church. They're given to authority. They listen to Jesus before they listen to themselves. 
that's what people want. People will crawl over broken glass to come to a church like that. They will not, and here's part of the proof, but America is the proof as well, do such a thing for a church that looks just like the world. They will not. Which explains why, you know, the Missouri Sun has gone from 3 million to 2 million, the ELCA has gone from, you know, 5.7 million to 3 million, and American Protestantism is, because why? Because we somehow can't remember how to express the love to each other and the people outside us, which is everything we've been doing the last couple of years in Bible study here. However, now the infrastructure underneath it this year. Okay, here we go. The fight to the cities has also meant, or the flight, I'm sorry, the flight to the cities has also meant the tight-knit village communities that made secret worth of both possible and thrilling are dying. The end is perhaps a generation away, but even as it is eclipsed in Christianity, remains a classic illustration of Japan's uncanny ability to take the offerings of another culture, as it did with Buddhism from Korea, running from China, called Cho from America, and make it uniquely their own. Here's the thing. You don't make things in the church uniquely your own. You are uniquely Jesus' own. Right? This is the difference. All right, now, for all I've said, Five minutes of Bible stuff, and then we've got two more kids to baptize. So turn the page. <laughs> we are the stories we tell about ourselves. That's a mashup of uh, James Didion and a couple of film directors. But Jake just, I heard it from first, so Jake gets credit. Uh, we are the stories we tell about ourselves. Now, if that's true, press it up. If memory makes us, then divine memory makes us divinely. Touch holy things, don't touch unholy things. Touch true things and become true. Touch holy things, become forgiven. Touch Jesus and become, as Luther says, little Christ to each other. Listen to the vigil and say, that story is my story. Listen to the liturgy and know that you need forgiveness, as well as something to believe, as well as something to do. Right? It's all there every Sunday. This is the reason for the creed. Right? Here's a reason for the creed, if I can remember what I want to do as I go through it. And I give you the reason for the creed. I want to give you several reasons. I'll stack them up for you. But the very first one is that Jesus is tender with you. It's the tender heart of Jesus. That's the reason for the creed. That's the story of the creed. Right? The Holy Trinity is wrapped up in divine love. We did this once. Perichoresis comes from the word to dance. The dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perichoresis is the technical term. But, you know, St. Augustine said, you know, the Father has a Son, and the Holy Spirit is the love that binds them together. It's okay as long as you hold the Holy Spirit's personhood as well. But the point of, um, um, but the point is, is that the Holy Spirit is love, together and then expressed. And so this was the sermon last week. The only reason you're here is God wanted one more to love. He loves you, right? And of course, then the primary thing that we express to each other is love. It comes through all sorts of different ways, starting with forgiveness to carrying on. But the point is divine love. Now, what could possibly go wrong? I've told you about my poor grandmother. Only one in her confirmation class. She was forced to sit in front of the congregation at the age of 12 and answer all the questions in the catechism. I think there are 306 in our current catechism in German, right? And if she got them all right, then she could go to the Eucharist. I presume they were citing 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 where it does say all 306 questions do have to be answered in German before you can come to the Holy Supper. <laughs> right? On the other hand, turn the page, the creed is life. This 
this is the Lord telling you, I love you, and I sort of spun this out for you. The Lord doesn't tell you everything, remember. You couldn't bear it. This is just like Eden. Adam and Eve can't bear it. They're not told why they should, should eat of one tree and not of another. He can't explain it all to you. You, you can't explain it. You can't explain it. it would break you if you, if you it would, to try to make you a God would break you, right? We can't take it all. Some things we just confess, but some things we learn, some things we understand. Um, Matthew 28, instead, we follow in the way of Jesus and Mary. I've told you this, but I gave you the Greek just in case you want to play around. The cool thing about the internet now is you can go play around with the Greek all you want. But I've often said to you that Matthew 28.20 is best translated as teaching everybody to treasure up everything that I've left behind. That's, you would learn it as teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. It's a very kind of law-minded, finger-wagging way to do it. I've given you the Greek here. Teaching everybody to treasure up everything that I've left behind as a gift for you. And of course, this is exactly the same words that use, that's used in the Christmas story. When Mary says, after the angels have left and the shepherds are going home, and she treasured up all these things in her heart. Right? So this is the point. You know, the point of the creed is that you can treasure up all the ways that Jesus has loved you. It's not meant as a data dump. It's not meant for showing off. It's not meant for arguing. Not in the first place. In the first place. It is, it is of course, when the time comes for it, it is a way to sort things that are have faithful and things that are heretical. That's true. It is, it, is, it is useful to sort what is true as what is false. And people have died for what is true. But, you know, don't wield that like a club. You know, I think I put that in here someplace. It's not, you know, it's not a club. It's not secret knowledge. It's not gnosis. It's not, it's not, it's not meant for showing off. What it's meant for is being like the Blessed Virgin Mother, who was often called the first apostle. Why? Because at the wedding of Cana, she says, Jesus, do this, and Jesus says, I'm not ready. And she turns to the servants, even though she's been rebuked, and she says, do whatever he tells you. That is the key to marriage. That is the key to life. That is the key to being a Christian. Do whatever he tells you. It doesn't say understand everything he tells you, but that would be great. It doesn't say like everything he tells you. That would be great, too. Do whatever he tells you. And when that happens, what happens? Water turns to wine. And frankly, a lot of other cool stuff, right? So, um, the creed is an exercise in divine tenderness. It's not at the bottom of three. It's not angry. It's not a data dump. It's not a club. It's not a death march. It's not gnosis, secret knowledge of just we have, secret Christians. It's not a wellspring of pride. It's not a test. What it is, is it's divine tenderness. And as you embrace it, it changes you. And it changes life around you. It changes your church. And makes you into the disciple that Jesus wants you to be. Make disciples by baptizing. We've done that a zillion times. And teaching them to treasure up everything that I left behind is a really good gift for them. So they won't feel lost. So they won't feel dumb. So they won't feel alone. So they won't feel unloved. So they'll feel like they're part of the Eucharistic body of the church. And when they live that way, so other people will be drawn in, and then the cycle starts over again, you teach them everything to everybody, which is a way of respecting other people, to give them all you've got. All right, that's what we're doing this week, next, this year. But next week, John Kleinick, you know, we ascend to that, you know, seventh heaven Paul talks about, you know. So we come back next week. we got kids to baptize. Here we go. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, love you. See you. Thanks. See you at the Eucharist.